If it's okay with you, I'm going to go a different direction. And uh, <laughs> I will say the Lord, uh, the Lord is doing something pretty amazing um, amongst our company. Uh, He's really, really cool. So we had Revival Friday services Friday night and no agenda, just the presence of the Lord and, and we just worship and we pray and, and we just see the Lord move. And um, God, was, God was most certainly here, right? Amen. God was most certainly here. Um, had some people testify. The Lord touched them. Um, I'm, I'm just curious. I'm going to ask you, who is, if you were here, did the Lord do anything for you? Yay, nay? Okay. Not everyone wants. That's okay. <laughs> Lord moved. He touched people. Had some people say they got some sleep, which was really cool. Um, we were we were looking at things, and there were forty seven people here that night. And what was really neat is twelve months ago, out of the forty seven that were here, only eight were with us a year ago. And that's just really really neat what the Lord's doing. People moving. Um, been, yeah, people moving from all over the place. And, and uh, I actually had two phone calls this past week and said, how are you getting people to move to your church? And I said, I'm not doing anything. It's, it's the presence of the Lord. And, and we're doing our best. Like, I see myself, I'm the pastor and the leader of the church. Um, and, and my responsibility, it's, uh, Paul would say, it's to to pray and to minister the word of the Lord. And, and I think part of that responsibility is like I've, I'm very jealous and feel very responsible for the atmosphere and the environment that's here. And with that, it's, and what do I mean by that? It's just it's the presence of the Lord. It's like when people come across the threshold, I want them to know that God is here. Whether, whether Logan strikes a chord on his guitar or not, or whether I speak a word or do anything, it's inconsequential. It's, it's, we want the presence of the Lord. And I think that's what's drawing people. It's, it's the deep calling out to deep. It's this family type of atmosphere that we are dreaming of creating. And I think the Lord is starting to do it. It's, it's like we're not interested in just growing a church and putting on a big party and a big show and people going home and saying, I go to X, Y, and Z or I go to this place. We like, we're dreaming of something to where like you can't envision yourself living life without the people sit, sitting next to That's you. Right. Amen. I can't. I told her the other night, I can't. I can't picture like shepherding a group of people how are you here? Like, it just, it's weird, you know, or you, I mean, it's, you know, I can go through every single person in here. It's just, I, I couldn't see it. And so the Lord's doing something very special. Now, with something special, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it's easy to be in the move of God, but not experience God. It's like how you could be like at a, at a celebration. Everyone's celebrating. Everyone's getting fired up. Everyone's getting excited. And you're like, well, I, this isn't doing nothing for me. And so I want to kind of address that this morning very quickly here. And let's, uh, let's do this. Uh, open up to John chapter 5, and I'm finding my way right now. So John 5, and we're going to look at the first nine verses. And this will we'll jump off from there. I love this story. 
not so good. You're so good. <laughs> John 5. It's on page 1661 in my Bible. <laughs> All right. It says, after these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep, a gate, a pool, which in Hebrew is called Bethsaida, having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving waters. I really want to hammer that phrase in just a second. Waiting, that's what I was hearing a minute ago, waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at a certain season into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in, was made well from whatever disease which he was afflicted. A man was there had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had already been and in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to get well? Probably the most offensive question you could ever ask anyone that's perpetually ill, right? If you've got a long time condition and someone says, do you want to get better? It's like, no kidding, I want to get better, right? I mean, he says, do you want to get well? And the sick man answered him. I love that. So he apparently didn't get offended because he said, sir, <laughs> if he got offended, he would have been like, of course I want to get well, you knucklehead. But he didn't. He said, sir, sir, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. So he was respectful, but he still gave an excuse. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mallet, or pick up your mallet. Uh, pick, feels like that sometimes, doesn't it? <laughs> pick up your pallet and walk. Immediately, the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. So I want to focus on that phrase, waiting for the waters to move. See, they were gathered around this pool and they believed again that every once in a while an angel would come over the waters and when the waters got stirred up, the first person in got their miracle and got their breakthrough. And so they would have all these people laying there and if they couldn't get in, they didn't believe that they would get touched by God. Now, I, I, I picture it's, it's like this. All these people are waiting to get, to get touched by God, but they're bound by superstition. Really, superstition is just superstition. And I'm hearing Michael Scott saying, I'm not a little superstitious. I'm not stitious. I'm superstitious. But anyway, <laughs> so I butchered it. That's okay. So they're waiting there, and they're bound by this idea that they cannot get touched, and the water comes, or water gets stirred, and they get in, and they believe they're going to get healed. And I want to announce... That with Jesus, there is no waiting of the stirring of waters. Not only is there no waiting of the stirring of waters, we could take it a step further that he said, not only do I have to wait on the waters to get stirred, but I don't have anyone else to carry me to this position. Now, I don't want to put anything on anyone today, okay? So don't receive this as guilt, shame, or condemnation. But I believe that sometimes that we are our own biggest obstacle to receiving a touch from God. 
It's like, well, why can't I feel him? Why can't I experience him? Why can't I get this, that, or the other? Now, I don't understand, again, why sometimes prayers get answered immediately and sometimes there's a period of waiting, but I do know that we are responsible for the degree of hunger of the Lord in which we each carry. Like, I can't depend on my wife's hunger for God to fuel me. Now, sometimes when I'm down and I get aggravated or frustrated, she'll say, Michael, step it up or snap out of it, and I'll get snapped out of it. Or, or sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm so tired today. And I see her worshiping the Lord and it fuels my worship for the Lord and it pushes me into it myself. Now, I just want to say that we cannot depend on the person sitting to the right or to the left of you to help you receive your breakthrough. You have to actually pursue the Lord yourself, not be bound by superstition. All right. So I believe the Lord is stirring waters. And I want to talk about that, this, because when he stirs the waters, things get released. Release of pain, suffering, hurt, depression, anger, sickness. And you're like, what's he mean? Well, Romans chapter 5, it's a really amazing chapter. Romans 5, 6, 7, 8, it's incredible. It says, but God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. That's crazy, by the way. This, this is the antithesis of what we think faith is, by the way. Because <laughs> sometimes we're like, God, I'll do this if you do this. And, and the Lord's like, Lord's like, I'm going to go ahead and die for you in hopes that you're going to give your life to me. <laughs> Not, not with the guarantee. And so, anyway, it's just opposite. That's free. That's not even what we're talking about. But much more then, having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, while we were reconciled to God through the faith of God in his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And so we shall be saved by the life of Jesus. The word saved, some of you heard me talk about this part before. Saved is the word sozo, which means saved, healed, and delivered. So not only does the Lord desire to save me from my sins, which he very much desires for me to do, he actually desires, John 10, 10, that I may have life and have it abundantly. And so not only does he save me so I can go spend eternity with him, he actually saves my mind and saves my emotions at the same time, which means that he desires wholeness for the body of Christ. It's the truth. I believe it, whether you do or not. So it's okay. Sozo, it means heal, recover, to be made whole, to deliver from the penalties of messianic judgment. It's used 110 times in the New Testament. And so whenever we enter into the kingdom of God, when we give our life to him, again, we're not just saved from eternal damnation. We're actually saved into wholeness. I want you to picture that you're saved into wholeness. Not, and what do I mean by wholeness? I mean, you're not going to lack anything. Now, I'm not talking about stuff. I'm talking about stuff. Does that make sense? It means when he died for my sins, and again, don't receive this as condemnation. Receive this as an invitation to freedom. When he died for me and he saves me into wholeness, he does not desire me to live in depression. That's right. Don't feel guilty if you are. Jesus can touch it right now. He doesn't want to save me where I am perpetually angry at people or those around me. He doesn't do that. He wants to bring 
wholeness into your life. Frustration. And, and look at it like this. Sometimes we live our life and, and we live our life always trying to get something else and else and else and else to fill whatever void we have, right? That's why sometimes some people overspend. That's why sometimes people overheat. It's why sometimes people spend too much time on social media. It's trying to fill a void. And what Jesus says is, I've came to sozo them, to make them whole, to fill the part that they feel like they're lacking. Every need that I've ever had, it was found in him. Every need that I've ever had was found in him. All right. And so I know I'm saying this, and I can feel the pushback in the room, in the spirit. And, and I say this, that some are hurting in here today. And the Lord wants to say release to those things today. Release. It's okay to get your hopes up. It's okay to get your hopes up when it comes to the Lord. I've lived most of my life. I'm like, I, I don't want to get my hopes up because if it doesn't happen, I won't get excited until after it happens because then if it doesn't happen, I won't be disappointed. The Bible tells us hope never disappoints. Named our church Hope Church. But anyway, it's okay to get your hopes up. Now imagine, imagine being this man in this story for 38 years lying on the edge of the pool, and for 38 years you see person after person after person after person receiving from the Lord, right? Imagine doing that. Like you would probably get a little bit frustrated, be like, can, can I get something? Can, can I just win one time? Now, maybe y'all, Jesus' second cousin, don't ever think stuff like that, but, but I know I've said stuff like that before. See, he's laying there for 38 years wondering if it's his turn. Now, imagine coming to church week in and week out and seeing others getting breakthroughs, and you're like, God, when is it my turn? I just want to say that's poor theology, that's poor belief, because the Lord, he's good. We sing about the goodness of God. Paul writes in Romans, it's the goodness of God that leads men unto repentance. And so it's, it's yeah, there's wrath, yeah, there's judgment, but it's goodness and it's kindness that draws us near. It's his goodness that gives me hope. This man, really Bethsaida, actually means the pool of promise. It's this place associated with healing, but he has no hope. Imagine being at the place of promise and having no hope at all. He has no expectation that anything's going to change. He's grown cynical in his waiting. That, that happens a lot, by the way. When we have to wait, we grow cynical. We grow sarcastic. We grow skeptical in suffering. Or, or, or actually, he just got accustomed to dealing with it. Now, this is the way it's always going to be. And Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time in that condition. And he says, do you want to get well? <laughs> do you want to get well? I love sometimes Jesus asks rhetorical questions. <laughs> like, I don't... Just, Michael, do you want this? Well, Yeah. He's like, I knew you wanted that. I just wanted to see if you really knew that you wanted it. Sometimes our conditions trick us. And so I'll, I'll use this illustration at, at one of the places that we 
pastored at, we would, uh, every Sunday night, every Sunday night we'd have a prayer service and we would lay hands on people and we'd pray. and We'd pray for revival, pray for this stuff, and we'd pray for the sick to get healed. And nearly every week, this one individual would testify that God had healed them. And, but then, two days later, I would get a phone call. Pastor, I need this. I need this. I need this. I need you to pray for this. And, and I'm not negating the importance of that, but what I'm saying is it was almost as if this person wanted the attention more than they wanted Jesus' breakthrough. Does that make sense? It's what the Bible refers to as a familiar spirit, by the way. It's running back to where you were. And so did the Lord touch her right then and there? I, I want to believe he did. Maybe he did. I don't know. But it happened way too much. And then they would get to the service and they say, I need this breakthrough for X, Y, and Z. And I was like, man, we did this for 12 straight weeks and every week, you, you know, what's, what's going on here? And I believe sometimes we get so used to living in the conditions that we are living in that we don't know how to live any other way. It's why sometimes people get Stockholm Syndrome, if you understand what that is. And so, so he says, do you want to get well? You've been here a really long time. And Jesus in his goodness said, you know, the guy responded to him. He said, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water's stirred up. But when I'm coming, another one steps down before me. Of course he wants to get well, right? <laughs> He's waited for 38 years to get well and nothing's happened. Well, I just want to say that this morning, I think at the end, we'll, we're just going to pray some stuff out. But, but I believe today is your day. And I believe that so strongly. That's why I feel like the Lord said the change. What you know, I wrote these notes down a while ago, but the Lord said, share this this morning. Re I, I, get your hopes up. Come on. Get your hopes up. Regarding these things, that sometimes we can't control what happens to us. He couldn't control that he was born that way. He couldn't, you know, it wasn't his fault. It wasn't something he did. It's, it's, just, it's just what happened. We, we cannot control what happens to us. We, sometimes we can't control what, what people say or what people do. Sometimes we can't control just, just life in general. Now, sometimes we can because if we would just make smart decisions, things would go much better, right? It's like, I, I, why does my hand keep getting burned? Well, stop putting it on the fire. It won't get burned, right? I mean, we, sometimes we just do dumb stuff. But sometimes we can't control what happens to us. And, and, but we can control how we respond. Oftentimes, pain is a symptom of something larger. It's like if someone has a pain in their leg. Is it their leg has pain or is it because they have back problems? Do you understand? Sometimes, like the symptom, like if I'm coughing, is it because I have a mouth that goes, Ugh? or is it because I have a cold? It's a symptom of something larger. You understand? And, and, and so oftentimes pain points to what we need actually touched. And ignoring it can lead to larger problems. Right. Ignoring it can lead to larger problems. And that's why I believe that, especially in this place, like, like this is family, man. Amen. Like, like, I go to church sometimes, go to church, and I'm like, hey, you know, I'm blessed, highly favored brother. And, and I'm like, man, I know your life's a, a wreck right now. How are you saying that, right? Or, or I'm, I'm really good, man, or whatever people say. And, and sometimes they're just lying right to your face. 
But other times people say that and they really mean it. And, and what is the difference? I think it's because that they begin to understand that even if I don't feel like it, I'm going to talk about the goodness of God because as I start to speak about the goodness of God, it changes the way that I think or feel. All right. Ignoring it causes larger problems. I had a friend years ago, and like I, I tell the story a lot. I had a friend years ago that was having problems financially, and they would, um, long story short, they would never go to the mailbox but once a month. I was like, well, dude, that's why your electric's getting shut off because you're not paying your bill because you're not going to your mailbox. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, if you ignore stuff, it's still going to be there. <laughs> you got to deal with it, man. Like maybe if I pretend it's not there long enough, it'll it'll stop. You know, no, you gotta you gotta deal with it. Well, how do we deal with it? It starts with trusting God. It sounds so simple, but it's so hard sometimes. Trusting God because God not only wants to help, but God is going to help. There's a promise, and again, let's get our hopes set. God demonstrates his own love towards us and while we were yet still sinners, he died for us. Much more than that, than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of a son, having been reconciled, we shall be saved to his life. If I'm afraid of a problem, that's the problem. Say that again. If I'm afraid of a problem, that's the problem. But it's when I say, Lord, this is what's going on, and I'm going to give it to you, right? It's like, it, it, it's like 1 Peter 5, 7, cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Like, and that's a picture of this. Like, like some of you all have kids, and occasionally you get date night and you drop them off at the sitter, right? And you're like, you're like, here's my kids. And then you hurry and run out the door before they change their mind, right? When he says, cast your cares upon him or cast your anxiety, he's saying, just throw them at his feet and just run away. Like it's not your problem anymore because it's not your problem anymore, okay? And so, so it's like, and, and by the way, when you run and you're like, oh, you're going to watch my kids for me, you're trusting that your kids aren't going to die in the care of that other adult. Maybe we should start saying, here you go, take it. I don't want to deal with it anymore. I've dealt with it. I've made a bigger mess. And, and as I'm done dealing with it, I know, I know, I know you've got my life in control. I know things are going to be okay. I don't know how in the world it's going to work out, man. I don't know the finite details of this, that, or the other. But maybe, just maybe, it's going to be all right. So let's just start casting stuff to him, folks. Oh, he's so good. And I don't, he doesn't even get agitated with you when you do it. I think he goes, oh, Michael just get me all of his problems. I'm so happy. <laughs> I am so happy. Uh, and I got, man, I got more problems than a three-legged run-over dog, right? And I'm like, I'm going to give them to him. And he gets so happy about that. I'm afraid, if I'm afraid, 
of the problem. That's the problem. So how do we overcome that problem? Start declaring the goodness of the Lord over your situation. Would not name it, claim it, brother? I don't know if it is, but I know it works. So I'm going to do it. I'm not going to let the abuse of a few knuckleheads ruin it for me, by the way. Okay? All right. So begin to speak that out. Speak the goodness of the Lord of your situation. That's why we sing these songs. You are good. You are good. Right? Or, or that's why we sing you're a good, good father. I think sometimes that as we begin to speak things out, we actually begin to believe them here and here. It's like, well, why do we do this over and over and over? Because maybe we need to get it over and over and over until, until we, instead of knowing about it, we actually would live this out and believe it. All right? So, so if we begin to speak the goodness of the Lord over situations, that would mean commonsensical type of advice would be watch what you say. <laughs> watch what you say. What do you mean watch what you say? Like, have you ever been around everyone that's like just absolutely Debbie Downer? <laughs> April, we were telling a story a few weeks ago. And... Uh, and was, I think it was our 10th anniversary. You're like, let's go skydiving. And like, April's really adventurous. And like, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> like, my idea of adventure is I may put spicy mustard on a hot dog, right? I mean, <laughs> that's, that's living for me. <laughs> Come on. And so, so we, were, we were 10th anniversary. We're trying to plan our stuff. And April says, let's go skydiving. <laughs> And I'm thinking, if God wanted me to jump out of a plane, he'd have given me wings to be born with, right? Or he'd have made the earth spongy or something so that when I hit, I didn't splat. And so she says, let's go, let's go skydiving. I'm thinking, I'll do whatever you want, honey. That's what I said to her. And so she goes to work, and I'm furiously researching statistics on skydiving. <laughs> And on the way home, on the way home, um, she goes, yeah, do you want to do this? I'm like, it sounds good, but let me tell you this. Did you know that like 20% of the people that skydive break their legs? 80%, whatever, okay. 80%, isn't that scary? I give her all kinds of stuff, and she's like, well, I guess we're not going to do it. I'm like, I am so sorry. <laughs> right? Uh, now whenever she wants to do something exciting she's like let's do this and I start to say so she's like, don't even say anything don't don't say nothing you gotta watch what you say because there really is power in the words that we have and the things that come out of our mouth and it's a really good indicator of what's here. That's why it's so hard. Like, I love being around people, but if, if someone's constantly pessimistic, like, I, I hit my threshold and I'm, I'm done. It's like when we, when we started this thing and we had our first staff meeting, like one of the first rules, like the first rules, and I'm not exaggerating on this, what is, is and you're laughing because you're thinking what I'm thinking now. One of the first rules was that you're not allowed to be negative or pessimistic here or I will dismiss you from the staff. 
and you're not allowed to be negative or pessimistic on Facebook, or I will dismiss you from the staff. And I don't mean that. I don't mean that mean. It's just we don't have any space for it because we want the goodness of the Lord. And uh, so I say that because I believe there's power in what we say and what we think and what we believe. It's like, well, why are you always so optimistic? Well, good grief if Jesus was dead for three days and came to life and then floated up in the heaven. I have every right to be optimistic. <laughs> so Proverbs 21, 23 says, He who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from troubles. So if I, if I guard my mouth and my tongue, then I actually guard my soul from troubles. What does that mean? Now, I'm going to be real careful here because I don't want to offend anyone. But sometimes we bring stuff upon ourselves because we're so negative and pessimistic. Also, let's, let's say it like this. If we are constantly, if we're with a coworker and it's a peer, like someone on the same level as us, and we're constantly talking bad about them, talking bad about them, talking bad about them, but then we never get a promotion, maybe it's because we're constantly negative towards them. Do you understand? Like, I'm just trying to make it very practical. Or maybe if we're like, I'm always sick, I'm always sick, I'm always sick. Maybe it's because we're saying we're always sick and we're agreeing with a lie. Now, again, I'm not, I've realized that sometimes people are and, and I'm not trying to be mean about it. I'm just saying, be very careful with what you say. And like, she'll tell you the truth. Like, like she'll say, I feel bad. I feel bad. I'm getting a migraine. I'm like, you don't have a migraine. I say stuff like that to her all the time. You don't have that. I snapped that or didn't mean to. Or, say, or, or my boy said, my boy says, I'm starting to get a headache. I'm like, no, you are not. And I'll say stuff like that. Why? Because I believe there's power when we speak stuff out. I don't want to agree with those things. All right. So he who guards means he who is careful and he who actually watches over the words that they say. And tongue is the language that you say. I'm not talking about saying swear words. You shouldn't say those either. But I'm saying, talking about negativity and pessimism. All right. What you say is the power to impact your life. It's like this. If you're sad, you probably shouldn't go put on a sad song, Right? Like, if I'm sad, I'm probably, like, I'm not going to go put on Celine Dion's My Heart Will Go On. Like, it's going to make me more sad. It's going to make me want to put my head through a wall. I'm not going to do it. If you're mad, I'm not going to sing anything that, it's an angry song, right? Like, I know most y'all don't listen to that or anything, but I'm not going to listen to something that's like, ah. But that's like the opposite of what you should do. Stop agreeing with those things. Like if I get depressed, I'm going to listen to something that says you're good no matter what my circumstances are. If I'm tired, I'm going to listen to something that says he's going to renew me. Do you understand? It's, it's not agreeing with what the lies of the enemy. All right, so stop agreeing with lies because they are straight from the pits of hell. Stop making it impossible for pain. Stop making it impossible for pain and start, but start making it impossible for pain to feel comfortable around you is what I'm saying. Like, I think if something happens and the devil comes and he tries to eat my lunch and I may get riled up for just a minute, then I, I, and I will, I'll get aggravated and frustrated. I'm like, wait, no. Jesus, you're good. And I just want to tick him off. Not Jesus, the enemy. 
Start declaring the goodness of God. Start prophesying the promises of God around you. I don't have it in this Bible. One of my last one, I've told you before that I would highlight every promise of God in blue. And so what I do, I'm like, man, I'm having a rough day. And I would just start reading out loud the promises of God. Why? Because all the promises are a yes and amen in Christ Jesus, which means that if it's in here, then it's for me. If it's in here, it's for you. And you start to declare these things out loud. You start to declare these things out loud. We quoted it uh, 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 Friday night. The prophet Joel says that, that the Lord will return seven times with the locust destroyed. And Lord, you said this, you said this, you said this, you said this. Hey, it's, it's his word. He's not going to go against it. And so it's okay to hold Hold him to it. I do it with fear and trembling, but I'm going to hold him to it. And then what do you do? <laughs> Declare the goodness again. And again. And again. And again. And again. Then you probably do it again and again and again and again. I'm not trying to embarrass them. You all messed me up yesterday. I got so convicted. There have been little things that have occupied way too much mind space, if that makes sense, the last little bit. You all locked your keys in your car yesterday. And you're laughing and having a good time and carrying on. And we're like, what are you going to do? are like, I don't know. It's going to be all right. I'm, I'm not even kidding. That's what they did. And I thought, Jesus Start declaring his promises again. Look at this. Look at, look at one more. Look at, look at one more verse. Look at John chapter 21. It's not one more verse. It's verses. It's plural. But, but the idea of declaring again is something very scriptural. John 21 verse 1 it says, After these things Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And he manifested himself in this way. It means he made himself visible. He made himself known. Simon Peter and Thomas, called Didymus, and Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, <laughs> and two others of his disciples were together. Verse 3, Simon Peter said to him, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll also come with you. And they went out and they got out of the boat and they caught nothing. <laughs> so here's these fishermen and they caught absolutely nothing, Right? Like, I could understand if these guys went hunting and they killed nothing because they're not hunters. They were fishermen, right? But these are experts in their craft and they caught nothing. Verse 4, but when the day was now breaking, let someone hear that, the day's now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach and yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to him, children, do you not... You don't have any fish, do you? <laughs> Again, this is, like, this is Jesus saying, do you want to get well? Of course, Jesus is on the beach. Like if Jesus, you, I would imagine he would probably know if they had any fish or not, right? <laughs> you know, if they had their stringers <laughs> and there's nothing on them, do you have any fish? Well, what do you think, right? That's what's going on. He says, do you have any fish? And, and I love their answer. It's so succinct. No. <laughs> No. Oh. 
verse 6, and he said to him, cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll, you'll find a catch. Now, these are experts at what they do. They fished all night. They probably knew where to fish. They knew where the honey hole was, right? Jesus says, I'm not a fisherman, I'm a carpenter. <laughs> but let me give you fishing advice. <laughs> Have you tried casting the net on the right-hand side? <laughs> I've told this story so many times, I'm just going to tell it again. It's like when we first got married and we had Ethan, my brother... My brother, who is the most opinionated person on earth, used to love giving me unsolicited parenting advice, and he never had any kids at all at that time. Well, this is what you need to do, Michael. This is what you need to do, April. I'm like, no, you need to shut up. That's what I wanted to say, right? You don't know what we're doing. You're not up all night, dude. You don't get it. So here's this man that they would have known was a carpenter that knew that he was good at making tables and chairs. And he says, let me give you unsolicited fishing advice. Put the net on the right-hand side. And, and I doubt, I mean, I doubt, like if I was in the situation, I doubt I'd have been like, why didn't I think of that? Why did I think of that? But they did. They ended up doing it. I don't know why, why they did it. Maybe it's because it's Jesus. But they had like, Shh, why not? And it says, so they cast. So they cast. And then they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And we already established how we probably would have responded. But be like me going up low and being like, look, man, I need you to turn the equalizer to this, whatever, this, that, or the other. And I want you to do it right now. Like, I don't have a clue what I'm talking about. Right? Be like me telling Tim how to grill. <laughs> we established on 4th of July that I'm an expert at making brittle hot dogs. Those that have seen Mar those, those that saw the Infinity War, my hot dogs look like at the very end, but anyway. What if those guys would have gotten offended when Jesus said that? Declare that again. See, it's good to make jokes in between this stuff because this is a heavy subject. What if he would have said, I'm offended. How dare you say that to me? And they, and Jesus like, look, I, I'm just trying to do what's best for you. No, you don't know your head from a hole in the ground. You know, you're, you're a carpenter. Why don't you just go do whatever carpenters do? What if they had never cast that net on the other side? They would not have received that breakthrough. Some of you in here, 
myself included, there's been things that we've asked the Lord to do in our life that he hasn't done yet, and we've gotten disappointed. There's been things that we've wanted the Lord to do or we thought was going to happen and it didn't happen. And we thought, well, I just can't pray one more time because I don't have it in me. I don't have it in me one more time. I've struggled with this. I've struggled with alcohol. I've struggled with drugs. I've struggled with people's opinions of me. I did this, did this, did this. I don't have it in me to ask one more time. And then you go, and, and because we're people and misery loves company, and so we go tell someone else, and not, there's nothing wrong with this. We go to someone else what we're doing, and then they'll say, have you prayed about it? Like, yes, I've prayed about it. Well, let's do it one more time. Let's get our hopes up this time when we're doing it. But what if he doesn't answer? Let's ask him one more time. But what if he doesn't answer? Let's ask him one more time. There's biblical precedent for this. It's like the woman with the unjust judge knocking on the door, right? Right? And, and, and the judge who was evil said, I don't even believe in God, but because of her shameless audacity, I'm going to grant her justice. Like, how much better is the Lord who's actually good in nature, right? Or what about the person that shows up at their friend's house at midnight and knocks on the door and says, give me bread because my neighbor has nothing to eat. And the neighbor's like, I can't get up out of bed. My family's to bed. And we've talked about this before. He knocks on the door. And at that point in time, the houses would have been one single room. And the bed was designed so basically, like the dad slept up against the wall, then the mom, then the oldest child, then the youngest, then the youngest. So for the husband to get up out of bed, he would have crawled over the entire family, woke everyone up to give this guy bread. And he kept knocking and asking, saying, I have this need, and he eventually gave it to him. So there's principle and permission to continue to ask, and not only ask, but believe that he's going to answer. Some of y'all have disappointment with family members. Kids gone off the deep end, family member problem, mom, dad issues, whatever. And it's time to begin to ask the Lord to bring reconciliation and restoration to those relationships. Some of us have sicknesses and illnesses that we've lived with our whole life. So I'm just learned to live with it. I understand that, but let's ask the Lord to touch us one more time because he's good, right? And don't say it's impossible because that's not even the Lord's vocabulary. That's right. He says, nothing is impossible with God, or nothing is impossible for God. Like we make light and joke around here, looked up nothing, that means nothing. All things are possible to him who believes. That'll mess you up when you start thinking about that too. So I just want to live hopeful. One last thing, we're going to receive communion, then we've got to take up our tithes and offerings, and we'll do announcements at that time. I remember being here a year and a half ago, a year ago, and